Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint Good morning. And curious I'm Kyle McKee, and this is Fordham Conversations. On this Halloween edition of Fordham Conversations, we talk about the legendary Gothic writer Edgar Allan Poe. While Poe is known for his poems and short stories like The Raven, The Telltale Heart, Annabelle Lee, and The Bells, few may realize his deep connection to New York City and especially the Bronx. My guest today is Angel Hernandez. He's the Director of Programs and External Affairs at the Bronx County Historical Society. He joins me to talk about Poe's writing, life, legacy, as well as Bronx history. Angel, thank you so much for joining me this Thanks morning. Thanks for having me. So, you know, before we get into Edgar Allan Poe, I just, I want to start off, do you have a favorite piece? Do you have a favorite poem or short story? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm going to admit I'm not much of a poet. <laughs> I'm pretty much a historian. However, uh, in junior high school, the very first piece of literature I've read that Poe uh, done was The Cask of Amontillado. And I had to read that piece a couple of times to get a full understanding of what was going on. It was the very first time that I got this idea of such a writer, such a prolific writer, but at the same time, a little out of the ordinary and uh, ahead of his time as well. But uh, as far as reading, you know, I work with a lot of students. I love reading the bells because it allows me to get a little crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it gives me that, you know, I call it the wild card of, of Poe's works, especially done in the Bronx. But uh, yeah, I'm more of a historian. The poetry is really not my thing, but Poe's legacy in the Bronx, you know, and how people perceive him today, that's, that's what I'm really focused on. Are you aware of the story that apparently he was... Inspired. Inspired by the bells. Yes. So what I read, some of the bells, uh, he actually started outside of the Bronx, uh, uh, where he was living in Manhattan. There were some churches in the vicinity at the time. So you can imagine how many bells were going off at once to drive him crazy enough to Absolutely. write such a piece. And, and for those who aren't familiar with this story, there is folklore that Edgar Allan Poe, when he lived off of Fordham, that he heard the bells of the university church here and was inspired to write the poem. Right. Yes. And supposedly, uh, in your archive, you have that bell. Uh, we do. Yeah, it says Westchester, uh, Westchester Town, 1848, I believe. And uh, you can uh, speak to your archivist, Patricia Kane. Uh, she, we have a video at Poe Cottage, and it's actually shown. Uh, oh, there's wow. a piece where, you know, she's talking about Poe's life. Uh, she pulls out some documents from Fordham's archives. There was a baptism uh, Poe was involved in uh, when he was living here in the Bronx. And that bell is there as well. So uh, being a Bronx boy, I have to support my Bronx institutions. So I'm, I'm all the way for Fordham. Absolutely. You know, taking that legacy. Yes. So tell me a little bit about Poe Cottage. Right. Yes. So Poe Cottage was built around 1813, uh, 1812, 1813. It's the last remaining structure of the village of Fordham. When Poe arrived here in 1846, it was owned by the Valentine family, and it sat on the Valentine farm. This is why we have a Valentine Avenue in the area today. It's just a remnant of that uh, family's legacy there. And the cottage was a typical farmhouse, uh, Dutch-style farmhouse you know, at the turn of uh, the 18th century. So it was very typical. It's a good idea of how the working class poor lived in this part of New York City in the 1840s. I 
was looking at a lot of the history online that the Bronx um, County Historical Society has about Edgar Allan Poe, and it looks like when he lived in New York, he never was really constant. It was always moving, you know, downtown Manhattan, yeah. Upper East Side, which I think was th- considered the country yeah, at yeah. that time. It was extremely unstable. Uh, he couldn't hold down a job. Uh, if he wasn't uh, being hired as a contractor, he would have something permanent and that would fold as well. So Poe didn't have much luck in his career as to uh, sustaining a job. So he was a nomad. He carried his family from one place to another. He moved more than three, four times on the island of Manhattan itself before he got to the Bronx. Uh, he was born in Boston but raised in Richmond, Virginia. So he is this Yankee with a southern accent. So this was a, a theme throughout his life, you know, moving around and not having that type of uh, stability. I'm from Virginia, and when we, when we were in high school, we would always take field trips to yeah. the Poe Museum they have. So when I moved to New York and came to the Bronx, I was shocked to see Poe had such a connection when I thought... <laughs> yeah. He was ours. You know? Yeah. A lot of people don't know that Poe lived in many places, you know, on the eastern seaboard. So a lot of people don't know that there is more than one museum celebrating his life. Uh, Poe Cottage is where he last lived his life from 1846 to 1849. He actually lived there. Uh, in Richmond, Virginia, I think the museum is located at a site where he lived, but it's not the actual place. It's not the actual residence. I see. So uh, as far as people knowing about Poe, you know, experts, a lot of them don't know that he actually lived in the Bronx. But that's okay because it wasn't called the Bronx at the time. It was the village of Fordham located in Westchester County. But he lived in the Bronx and wrote some of his best stuff here, including the Cask of Amontillado. So what was Poe's life looking like when he moved to the Bronx? Well, he was content. Uh, he just won a small lawsuit, a libel lawsuit that allowed him to move out of uh, Turtle Bay, which is now where the United States, uh, United Nations is located. Uh, he had his young wife, Virginia, who was suffering with tuberculosis. Uh, she was constantly sick. This was a very unfortunate episode for him. And he also had his mother-in-law, Mrs. Clem, who was also his aunt. And Virginia was his first cousin. So... A little craziness there. A little bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but the, the, he was happy. He was happy because he believed that moving out to the countryside, moving out to the village of Fordham, would help Virginia fight this disease. That's that's all he wanted out of that. Uh, he was very poor. He was extremely poor. There is no record of Poe paying rent after the first year. Uh, to John Valentine. Uh, he originally paid $100 a year for that cottage. So we assume John Valentine probably felt bad for him. You know, he just wrote The Raven, which is pretty popular. And he probably just felt bad for this striving writer. Striving writer. Or Poe was just bad at paying rent. <laughs> he was just good at ducking the landlord every first of the month. But we nevertheless, nevertheless <laughs> exactly, in the Bronx. <laughs> nevertheless, uh, Poe was very happy. Virginia thanked him. She wrote him a, a lovely Valentine poem, basically thanking him uh, for moving her out to the countryside. So when she finally died just a year later in January, uh, January of 1847, uh, Poe fell into a deep depression. And this is when he wrote Annabelle Lee. So uh, when you pick that story up and read it, it gives you an idea of what he was going through, this melancholy, you know, watching his young wife die and then dealing with the death ultimately. 
I also want to think this is where he had the idea to write the cask of Amontillado for some reason. So uh, they were very happy. It was the countryside. It was a cleaner way of life. Uh, there was cleaner water with, with the natural springs that were located in the area. and uh, But unfortunately, it didn't work. It wasn't enough to keep Virginia alive. So very unfortunate situation. Very. And obviously, the Bronx did not look like it did today. Were there, was there anything there? Nope. Uh, it was rolling hills, uh, farmland, scattered plots of land, uh, uh, a mansion on the crest somewhere, but totally different, totally different. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story called Landor's Cottage uh, when he was living in the Bronx what is now called the Bronx. And he described the area. He described the hills on the west, which is the the Kingsbridge neighborhood now, uh, uh, on your way up to Riverdale. He spoke about the lakes, the chain of lakes on the east, which is now where the Botanical Gardens is located. So uh, he gave us this very bucolic, you know, imagery of the Bronx. And it was a totally different story. So uh, when people go to the cottage today, they wonder, why would he move to the Bronx? It was so noisy wasn't the Bronx. This was all farmland. And he lived on the Valentine family farm. Absolutely. And this was the last place that Poe lived. Right. And he died in Baltimore. Yes. So it's kind of interesting. He left. I don't know if he didn't realize that would be his last He time. did not. He did not. Yeah. Uh, in 1849, you know, this was uh, two years after Virginia dying. Poe was on his last penny. Uh, he receives an offer you know, uh, to run a magazine called The Stylus. He was given the opportunity uh, to raise money for it and take literary control. So uh, he he left uh, New York City and he went on a speaking tour. One of his stops was in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, that's when his whereabouts go completely unknown. A couple of days later, uh, some say he's found in the street. Others say he's found at a bar or a polling place. He's taken to the hospital. A couple of days later, he dies. There's no official cause. There's no official cause behind his death. There's no story behind it. But there were many rumors. One of them was he died of tuberculosis, too. He died of rabies. Uh, He died of alcohol poisoning. One of the prominent rumors that emerged was when he was in Baltimore in 1849, there was a big election going on. And in those days, politicians, they were extremely corrupt. What they would do, they would pay thugs from the street to lure innocent people from like a marketplace or some type of public space. And these people would be lured to like a secluded area, like a woods, a side area, so abandoned house. And these people were given alcohol and they were coerced to go out and cast a vote for this corrupt politician. The trick was that same person was brought back to the secluded area given more alcohol, their clothing was switched, and they were sent out again to cast another vote at the same polling place. So it seemed like it was a different person but uh, voting, but it was the same person over and over again. When Poe was found, uh, supposedly he had someone else's clothing on. He was delirious. People thought he was drunk. So many thought he was a victim of this political abduction process, which they called at the time cooping. So, but that story hasn't been confirmed. I've even read, I don't know if this is true, but when his body was uh, uh, being moved from the rear of the Westminster Church in Baltimore to the front, 
the pallbearers felt a rattle in his skull. Oh, so they thought it was a, a bullet or something, some type of uh, object that was lodged in his, in his brain or something. Later on, they came to an un, unofficial conclusion that it might have been a calcified tumor. A little far-fetched, but this guy did write about talking birds. He wrote about some real out-of-this-world, this, world, this oh, real yeah. crazy Especially stuff. Especially for that, that time. I'm right. Sure, yeah. So maybe there was some type of biological you know, imbalance going on with Poe. Yes. But he was the father of mystery writing. He inspired many, you know, uh, uh, mystery, the, the mystery genre that it's, it's ironic. His own death remains a mystery after so many years. I've been talking with Angel Hernandez, the Director of Programs and External Affairs at the Bronx County Historical Society. He joins me to talk about Edgar Allan Poe and his connection to the Bronx. You had mentioned that he was extremely poor. When he was alive, was he regarded in the same popularity as he is today? Not necessarily. People knew who he was. Uh, he was this emerging writer. By the way, when when Poe was a child, uh, his childhood was it's it was comfortable. Uh, he was taken in by the Allen family. John Allen was a wealthy Scottish merchant. So Poe's life was pretty comfortable. You know, he, he didn't live uh, in poverty. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been to the Richmond Museum, but there's items from his childhood, you know, and it shows a different Poe, a different childhood. However, as he grew into manhood, you know, as, as he grew, the relationship between Poe and John Allen became so bad that when John Allen finally died, he excluded him from the family will. So that's when Poe's really experienced poverty throughout his adult life. After Poe died, what happened to the cottage that he was living in? So the cottage was still uh, uh, Virginia, I'm sorry, uh, Mariah Clem, his mother-in-law. She was still there. She lived there for another two years before she finally moved to Brooklyn. And she stood there for a little while with some friends. And then she, too, ended up in Baltimore where she died. So uh, if you go to the house today, there are some items that are original to Edgar Allan Poe and his family. We have a rocking chair, a mirror, and the bed in, in which Virginia uh, passed away on. The other items, we don't know what happened to them. So we suspect that uh, uh, Mariah Clem, you know, his mother-in-law, sold a lot of this stuff to gain passage uh, to leave New York City to Baltimore. Yes, it's all part of the mystery. It's all What's part happened? of the mystery, absolutely. Yes. So when did the Bronx County Historical Society kind of get the house? This was 1975. Okay. Uh, 1975, there was a lot of stuff going on at the cottage. Uh, it wasn't being uh, maintained very well, Parks Department. It was also a time uh, when the Bronx was in a different phase in its history. It was mid-1970s. There was still the effects of the fiscal crisis. The Bronx was a different place than what it was today. And uh, You said New York City as a whole was entirely yeah, different. Yeah, New York it's... City. But the Bronx was became the poster child for urban okay. decay yeah. uh, because of, you know, the, the media attention on it. So, so a lot of emphasis in that part of New York City. So when the Bronx County Historical Society came in 1975, they did a great job pres not only preserving it but protecting it. Uh, there were some gates that were erected uh, uh, of the perimeter of the house to protect it. Uh, there was some uh, stuff going on in the basement. There were I, I, I was told there were squatters at one time. So that situation was addressed as well. 
some vandalism, not too much of it, because people knew who Poe was. So there was an amount of respect. There was some amount of respect in the neighborhood for the house. But since 1975, we've been running it. We've been running school tours. Uh, the hours haven't changed much. Uh, it's still less than uh, $5 for, for students and $5 for adults. Very, It's a nominal price. And we've been doing a great job. Uh, we've been taking care of the cottage throughout its uh, restoration. That happened almost three years ago. It was the very first restoration since 1913 when the house was moved into Poe Park. So uh, we've been doing a great job. And as a director of uh, programs, my focus now is to make the house more accessible to the community it sits in today. We have a lot of Latinos uh, living in that neighborhood. And uh, more than half of the population in the Bronx, in fact, are Latinos. So they don't know about Poe. In fact, they don't know much about Bronx history. So I, I try to make the house more accessible. You know, I try to tell the story in Spanish. I try to make it uh, more relatable. Uh, we have an audio tour there. We have some Spanish speakers reading Casca of Amontillado in Spanish, uh, Annabelle Lee in Spanish. A couple of years ago, we had a show called Salsa Poe. Uh, where we had a, a Grammy-nominated uh, Latino percussionist, uh, Bobby Sanabria, playing some congas against, you know, some uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, poetry. And that was read by Calidad uh, de la Luz, who is La Bruja. We also were having a, an event at the cottage, and it's called From Poe's Porch. And it's uh, poets from the Bronx and throughout New York City using the porch as a stage to recite poetry. Now, this is not just Poe's poetry. They're talking about issues that are affecting Bronxites today. Uh, we're, we're not shying away from certain issues. We want to talk about everything, poverty, crime. I mean, this stuff Poe was affected by. You know, he was extremely poor. And so happens that this house sits in one of the poorest districts in the Bronx. So we want to talk about that. We want to make Poe uh, relatable to the community and uh, and have fun throughout the process as well. So how big is the cottage itself? You know, I don't know the square footage, but it's fairly small. Uh, there's uh, three bedrooms. And when I say three bedrooms, people are like, oh, that's pretty spacious. It's very small. It was considered a, a speck on the map at the time compared to the large mansions and, you know, the estate residences that were located nearby. Uh, the ceilings, it's, it's very intimate, the whole house. It's very warm and cozy as well. Uh, the ceilings are very low because at the time you didn't have running water. So that was to preserve and conserve heat as well. There is a second level and people find a uh, hard time believing that there is a second <laughs> level. And the second level is, uh, this is where you have two bedrooms. So there's one bedroom on the first floor and this is where Virginia passed away finally. And the bedrooms on top is where Mrs. Clem, his mother-in-law, slept in Edgar Allan Poe's master bedroom. According to some resources I've, I've come across in the past, a lot of the works that he's done at the cottage was in the bedroom itself. So every time I bring someone upstairs, you know, to watch the video inside the room, you know, I kind of uh, give them that you're, you're, stand, you're probably standing in the room where the cask of Amontillado was conceived, you know, and they're like, wow looking around and, you know, so it's an interesting uh, concept there. But it's a very small house. But people walk inside, they're like, oh, this is comfortable. I can have my sofa there, you know, <laughs> flat screen here. But it's very quaint. It's very intimate. Yes. And um, 
three people lived there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was Poe, his mother-in-law, and his young wife, Virginia. I see. Yes. And if I heard you correctly, you <laughs> have the bed that Virginia died on. Yes. Yes. Wow. It's one of the original items that made its way back into the cottage after it officially opened as a museum in 1917. And we also have a mirror and a rocking chair as well. Yes. And you said that <coughs> it was. You said that it was owned by the parks. Department? It still is. It oh, still it still is. is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's but owned, run by the... But it's run okay. by a nonprofit organization, which is the Bronx County Historical Society. But the Parks Department owns it, and they own the rest of Pole Park as well. Absolutely. And do you find when a lot of Bronx natives come through and tour the house that a lot of people may not know who Poe is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have... The poets, the readers, you know, the people who do their research, they already know who he is. But not the neighborhood. There's a lot of people that live in the Bronx that live across the street that have no idea. In fact, during the restoration, you know, this happened a lot. People would walk by, especially a a Mexican family or Spanish-speaking, non-English-speaking family, and they would see me outside and obviously, I'm Latino. You know? <laughs> they start speaking to me in Spanish. Yes. They're like, you know, what is this house? Why are they fixing it? You know, why is it protected like this? What is this? Why is this so important? Who lived here? So as soon as I say Edgar Allan Poe, the guy that wrote The Black Cat, The, the, the Raven, you know, and as soon as I, I start gushing this information, they're like, oh, my God. I read this guy. I read him in Mexico. You know, I read him in my country. This is awesome. So all we need to do is just speak up, speak to these people, because that's that's important for us. You know, the Bronx County Historical Society, our main mission is to disseminate Bronx history for everyone. Uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to keep sharing this type of history and at the same time, make it more available for future re- generations to come. Absolutely. And besides the um, Poe Cottage, what other projects are the, um, is the Bronx Historical So Committee? we also have uh, the Valentine Varian House, which is now the Museum of Bronx History. It's the second oldest house in the Bronx, built in 1758, located not too far from here. Uh, it was used as a fortress during the American Revolution. And today we use it as the only museum in the borough that celebrates its historic heritage. We also have a research library on Bainbridge Avenue and uh, and an archive as well, a couple of doors away. So we have this operation going on, preserving Bronx history. And I sort of joke that we are the Library of Congress for the Bronx. So whatever you want to, you know, do some research and not only just the Bronx, but New York City in general, we would be one of those ideal sources. Definitely. And you had mentioned that Poe's Cottage was moved to its current location. Yes, yes. Where was it originally? It sat on the east side of East Kingsbridge Road and 192nd Street. And it was moved twice, actually. The first time was in the 1890s. It was moved away from Kingsbridge Road because it was being widened at the time. The second move was across the street. Now, Poe Park which is is where the cottage uh, sits today, 
was already made by 1902 in anticipation of the preservation of the house and the moving of it. So uh, the house was finally moved in 1913. Then in 1917, it officially opened as a historic house museum. Do you have any plans, any other Edgar Allan Poe plans for the future? Absolutely. Uh, 2017, we have some major exciting plans, uh, public programming. Uh, In May, uh, there is this uh, popular walking tour I do, and it's called From Poe Cottage to the High Bridge. Uh, The High Bridge is the oldest bridge still standing in New York City. It's also the latest attraction. And Poe walked to the High Bridge. It was uh, being constructed at the time when he was living in the village of Fordham. And he would take these walks down. So I retrace those walks. And on the way over to the High Bridge, I stop and I read something. You know, Udaloom, something that he wrote in the Bronx. Then in the summertime, in July, I believe, we want to do Poe in the Bronx. And that's the salsa Poe. That's the the musical composition yes. of, of Poe's works. And finally, Halloween. Uh, Halloween, It's it's been many years, you know, we've done anything at Halloween, uh, at, at Poe Cottage for Halloween, in fact. Uh, for many years, we thought, you know, Poe is bigger than Halloween. You know, we, we shouldn't shed all this light on him just for one holiday but i thought halloween's a fun holiday and i think poe's legacy and learning about it should be fun too so next year we plan on doing something for halloween at poe cottage i want to have some type of intimate poetry reading inside and have poets stationed throughout the park dressed as characters in poe's works so it would be nice to have fortunato you know, reciting some poetry on the Grand Concourse at East Kingsbridge Road. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, we, we want to uh, deal with the trick-or-treaters as well. I want to give Al candy. Definitely. And, Not uh, Halloween without that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Halloween is about having fun and, yes. and, 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 you know, and kind of comparing costumes and whatnot. So 2017, we have a lot of projects happening, and I, I can't wait to start them. Definitely. And Salsa Poe, when did that take place? Uh, Salsa Poe happened in 2010. And uh, one day I I picked up the phone and I called Bobby Sanabria, famous Latino percussionist, Grammy nominated. And I invited him over to our Museum of Bronx History. And I also invited Caridad de la Luz, who is La Bruja, a very famous Bronx poet. And I asked him, can you make Annabelle Lee or the Cask of Amontillado into a salsa? Or merengue, and they're looking at each other. They're like, and they're like, how? Well, simply, you know, Bobby plays the congas or plays his tunes, and Caridad, you're just gonna sing Annabelle instead of just saying it. So they came down to a salsa that went Annabelle and the kingdom by the sea, and Caridad, she she loved it. She loved it. The energy was there. We performed those songs at the National Arts Club. We used to have a yearly fundraiser there, and it was a beautiful event. Uh, it was the very first time people ever heard the cask of Amontillado in a merengue or Annabelle Lee in a salsa. And it was very important, very important for the Latino community and also for the Bronx community in general. This last uh, Saturday, it came back. Okay. This last Saturday at the Bronx Music Heritage Center, that happened again. Bobby Sanabria had a young woman, another woman, a poetress, who sang 
some of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's stuff wow. uh, against the Latino beat. Yeah. So it brought back great memories. And I approached Bobby after the show and I said, we need to do this every year. Yeah. We need to get some sponsors together and really make this an annual event, an annual spectacular. Yeah. And he's on board. So that's part of our projected uh, 2017 public programming series at Poe Park. It's rehashing the Poe's work in a language that the community understands. Absolutely. It's brilliant. And people already know who he is. Yeah. You just got to talk to them. You Definitely. just have to talk to them. Yes. How long have you been at the Bronx County Historical It's Center? going on eight years. It's right. going on eight years, and it's uh, I love it. I love nice. the job. It gives me an opportunity to work in my backyard, you know, to work with Bronxites and, and to brag about its rich historic heritage. Definitely. How has the society grown in the past eight years? That you've it's met? grown uh, tremendously. Uh, online, uh, we have a great online media uh, following. Uh, technologically, we're, we're growing as well. We just received $183,000 from the borough president. And that is to buy equipment to digitize our uh, 80,000 photographs and all the other uh, artifacts in our collection. So we're expanding and I'm looking towards the future and I'm ready to take the society into another 50, 100 years if I can. So if anybody wants to learn more about Poe Cottage or the Bronx County Historical Society, where should they go? So uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, you can find us, Bronx Historical Society, or Poe at Fordham. Uh, on Twitter, we're Bronx History, or Poe Cottage BX, as in Bronx. Or just give us a call, 718-881-8900. You can go on our website, bronxhistoricalsociety.org, and uh, give us a call. And, you know, feel free to ask us any questions about Poe, Bronx history, or just you know, spark of a conversation with us. It's uh, great being here at Fordham. Well, one of Poe's haunts, by the way, uh, when Poe arrived here in 1846, uh, this was St. John's College. It was just founded. It was only three years old. And Poe would walk down and hang out with the priest. Uh, he would talk to the students here. Uh, so he spent a lot of time here. So it's an honor being here after so many years, working at Poe Cottage, talking about his legacy here, and, you know, just being here and, and enjoying enough to talk about it as well. So, I would like to thank my guest, Angel Hernandez. To learn more about the Poe Cottage, you can visit our website at WFUV.org. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Kyle McKee.